Hey everyone! Did you know Neurodiverging now offers a free support group for autistic parents, monthly free live classes on neurodivergence-related topics, and a coaching corner twice a month on Instagram? Learn more and sign up for all of our learning opportunities at neurodiverging.com slash upcoming events. Every day, scientists are learning more and more about how human brains work and how many of us don't fit into the old-fashioned understanding of how brains should work. But a lot of ideas about parenting and familial relationships still need to catch up to the reality of human variation. Neurological differences are natural, profoundly valuable parts of being in a community together and in being part of a family. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey, I am here to explore with you. We are all in this together. Welcome to Neurodiverging. friends and welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. I'm Danielle Sullivan and I am your host. Neurodiverging is dedicated to helping neurodiverse folks find the resources we need to live better lives as individuals and to further disability awareness and social justice efforts to improve all of our lives as part of the larger world community. If you're interested in learning more, I encourage you to please click that subscribe button to make sure you're notified when there's a new episode. Take a look around at previous episode transcripts and blog posts on neurodiverging.com and check us out on Patreon to support this podcast and blog. Speaking of Patreon, we have a new perk debuting. If you are interested, we will be doing after shows. After every podcast, you can log on to Patreon and watch a video where I tell you more about that day's guest and the experience of doing the podcast with them and things we talked about that may have been cut out of the published show. So for patrons only, that is a new perk that is available. Check it out, patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Speaking of Patreon, I want to give a very lovely thank you to Zach, David, Teresa, Sarah, Anon, Teresa, Outstronaut, Clara, and Marty. Thank you all so, so, so much for supporting this episode of Neurodiverging. I'm very happy today to present this conversation with Dustin Miller of Poly Innovator. Dustin is an omni content creator, host of the Polymath Polycast, and the host of Tele Innovator, a polymathy and self-education channel. We had a very wide-ranging discussion, it was a lot of fun, about self-directed education, learning how to learn, building habits and self-motivation hacks, and tons more. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation with Dustin. Hi, Dustin. Welcome to Neurodiverging. How are you doing? Good. Are you, Danielle? I'm doing great. Um, before we get started, could I ask you to tell the audience who you are and a little bit about what you do? Yeah. So I'm Dustin Miller, Poly Innovator, which essentially just means a polymath of innovation. And a lot of people don't really know what a polymath is, so I'll explain that real quick, too. Awesome. It is someone with many learnings, usually in a deep variety. And I'm trying to become one in my own right, which means that I'm just trying to become my own Da Vinci in a way. 
And so my journey on that is what I document with my personal brand, which is Poly Innovator as well. And so I create videos and audio and written posts and all that jazz. Yeah, you have a pretty extensive media presence existing already, which is pretty cool. Awesome. One of the reasons I was interested in talking to you is because it seems like you have uh, worked pretty extensively on changing kind of current education and creating a model of self-taught education. And how do you, sorry, I've forgotten the phrase you use. Modular degree. Modular, yeah, education, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that and just sort of what motivated you to start that piece of your work and what Mm -hmm. kind of went into that? Well, I've always been pursuing self-growth in some way. And I think in order to kind of get the idea for the modular education aspect, I'll start a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. When I started out with my own growth, it came around with this idea of philosophy. I created the four pillars philosophy, which is around the mind, body, spirit, and emotions, just a modernized version of old text. And I think that that allowed me to understand things in a more broad view. But then I realized I have all these different things I want to work on, exercise, development, when it comes to meditation or learning, all these different habits I wanted to build. And so I focused on building the habits and systems. And then eventually I realized, okay, great. I have built out these systems. I've, built, I've started building up these habits. Well, I was around the time working on my old endeavor before Poly Innovator. And I realized that I wasn't good enough. Even with these systems and all this philosophy behind my back, I didn't have the right what or the right knowledge. It's so, like, okay, cool. Well, do I want to go to college? I've looked around, couldn't find one for the degree that I wanted to work in in the future. Like the career that I wanted to work in, there was no degree for. And even now there's only like a master's degree in Spain that can do it. And so I decided, screw it. I'm going to make my own education. So I did this do-it-yourself kind of degree where I just put together a list of over 450 courses. And I was like, I'm going to try to tackle this, which it was way too many, obviously. But, (laughs) you know, Yeah. And so that was the trajectory that way. You have a very specific goal in mind Mm -hmm. and you're having trouble finding and matching course load in in, in the existing educational systems, right? So then the do-it-yourself route is like, how'd you go about building a curriculum? How did you know what you would need to get to where you wanted to be? Or was Mm -hmm. it a trial and error sort of? I think it's interesting because the idea of putting together your own degree, if you will, really comes down to the idea of how we used to do it. Well, we have credit hours. We have certain amount of hours per year that you would do, that kind of thing. And I looked at the hours that it'll take to finish a course. Let's say a course is 30 hours. You can put that towards the total. But the thing is, with an online course, you can speed up the videos. You can learn how to speed read. If you learn how to learn, especially in an online context, you can actually go significantly faster. So I would go through a 30-hour course in 15 hours. Mm-hmm. And so I try to take that into account whenever I was tracking a lot of the semesters that I built out. And so I, like I mentioned, there was 450 courses. Well, I put out 11 different semesters in Mm -hmm. that. And once I started cutting it down, both the the actual degree itself and all the courses in it started cutting the fat, if you will, I ended up with just around 120 now. And instead of 11 semesters around five and the Mm -hmm. fifth one's kind of just like hanging out there with just only a little bit left. But it's interesting because I wanted to divide it up with topics. That was the main thing. Like each topic was almost like a bachelor's degree amount of hours for that particular topic. And so it was multiple different series of these different areas that Mm -hmm. I wanted to work in or learn about. That's really cool. So you seem like you didn't go to college. You chose not to specifically because you couldn't find a course or a, a I've forgotten the word for degree degree program. Thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. That's a that's a thing that happens with my brain pretty often. Um, 
you couldn't find a degree program that matched your goals. I'm somebody who was interested in so many different things that I just went through like, you know, six different degrees before I landed. And then when I ended up getting a degree and didn't match my career goal. So it seems much smarter <laughs> to start at the beginning with what is your goal and then build yeah. a course load that's based around that. So, well, and he, here's the deal with that modular degree concept though. That's the point is that mm-hmm. since I am like you, or it's very divergent thinking, we're interested in many different areas. We want our hands in all the different cookie jars. Absolutely. Well, most, most degrees do not support that, but a modular system where if you want to change things out, then you can end up choosing what you want to learn next. In fact, one thing I didn't realize until someone pointed it out to me later is that I significantly changed my degree by learning personal branding and content creation and how to do video and how to do audio and all these different things that I chose to learn, which was my modular degree, but without being in it. I didn't actually mm-hmm. put it into my mod degree, so to speak, but it was what I was learning. I shifted my focus. I changed yes. my semester and that was because I needed to. And I, I realized I need to start keeping track of that better. And that's what really formulated what it is today, or I'm trying to build it out today, at least, is through this modular system. If you want to change something, then you can, but keep track of it too. And how do you feel about a lot of the argument that I hear for people going to a traditional four-year college is those first two years where you're doing everybody's doing the same history classes, everybody's doing the same literacy classes, everybody's doing the same kind of 101 level with this idea that we'll end up with a group of people at the end who have a shared culture or a shared knowledge base so that when we go into the world and get a career, we can then engage with one another with a kind of shared cultural understanding. Did you feel like that was missing from the self-modular approach or do you feel like that's something that you were able to access in other ways? I know that's a concern for a lot of Um, neurodivergent folks who are considering alternatives to a four-year traditional program? Well, let's start off by asking the question, what is the most hated part of a bachelor's degree? There's always one part that people love and always one part people hate. The one part that people love is the courses that you chose to take, Mm -hmm. the degree that you chose to take, like whatever that's uh, philosophy or science or whatever particular Mm -hmm. degree, you're like, I want to go into that biology class. That's the class I care about. (laughs) But then you're forced to take however many credit hours of general education, which, Mm -hmm. like you said, is important to have a collective level of knowledge. I get Mm -hmm. that. But most people don't care enough about it when they're in the school. Like, Mm -hmm. sure, there's a lot of people who want to get the good grade. They'll still learn it, but they retain it for the test. And then they don't keep it because they don't Mm -hmm. care enough about it to retain it for longer. And so that's my point where if if you don't care about what you're learning, you're not going to keep it, let alone want to keep it. And so when you choose the actual path or course that you're taking, it's something you're choosing. It's something that you care about, something you're actually going to focus on learning and keeping mm-hmm. and ingraining. And I think that over time, because you care more about it, it's going to be faster. You're going to be more engaged with it. You're going to learn more. You'll switch to the next thing. And over time, you'll get through so much information and so much different learnings in all these different areas. You'll still get a pretty collective, like a collectivist kind of view mm-hmm. like you would from a general education. Awesome. And I think you also end up with a much more diverse sets of knowledge from different people who are focused on different things. And that's one thing I think is really cool about polymaths in general is you can talk to them about anything because yeah, there's a a shallow knowledge of so many topics and then a couple in depth. It's Mm -hmm. really fantastic. Well, and you made a good point too, is that like, 
we do need a wide range, but I think over time, whenever you're doing those different learnings too, you'll end up picking up a lot more in those areas. Like if you like, if you don't like history, but you really like science, well, sometimes you have to learn the history mm-hmm. of science. And in turn, you have to learn history itself too. Like in order to learn about the atomic bomb, you have to learn about World War II. And so you have to learn about all the different areas too, like all in Everything is embedded so in a context that touches everything else around mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I know this is not your area of expertise, but for my listeners, I homeschool my kids. Uh, one of my kids is autistic and I often hear from autistic mm-hmm. parents that it can be hard to uh, we tend to be we can be uh, we can be very much polymaths but a lot of us also have specific special interests that we really target and we have a lot of depth in one very narrow topic mm-hmm. and for parents who are trying to educate kids with that sort of sensibility um, what Dustin just said is a really good way to approach that that you are finding the context so if your kid is not interested in history but is interested in science you can you can mm-hmm. kind of um, swing them around to being interested in history by approaching it from their area of specific interests. So that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and ironically, it is partially in my expertise because I taught swim lessons for many years. I still do from time to time, but for a while there, I taught adaptive mm-hmm. swim lessons, which autistic kids don't generally pursue it in that regard. They usually take the regular swim lessons that people would do, but I think there's a mix between the either one and in order to teach them more adaptive some lessons you have to find what that kid or person is really interested in and you have to switch on cue Mm -hmm. when you have to like if it's not working you have to switch yeah no and it so it can be really good to understand the context between different Mm -hmm. um what look like very different areas of study they always have a link so you just have to find that link (laughs) and get them engaged that way so awesome love it and what tips would you have for people who are interested in building their own degree, basically, but have maybe just come from a formal background and haven't, you know, had a lot of life experience outside of maybe the public school system in the U.S.? Well, I'm trying to build this out into a system that can be applied to basically anyone. And that's what I'm doing right now is actually building a template. I actually worked on it like yesterday or this week. And so I'm working out the template for other people to use. And the whole point of it is to be able to start it from any angle. Like if you're in middle age and you're trying to pivot careers, well, you need to learn something, but maybe you don't want to go back to get a degree for something else. You want to learn the skill, but maybe not to spend so much time and money pursuing an official education. And the other person could be on the other spectrum where some people want to leave high school or secondary school and start pursuing their career, but maybe they don't need a degree for the career that they want. Maybe it's something that's internet-based that doesn't really have a particular degree. Like I've only recently heard about YouTube studies as a degree. And that's something that should have been done a long time ago. And I met someone, I interviewed someone actually with YouTube studies degree, and he had to go out of his way to make it. So it is possible that way, but it was more of those interdisciplinary, not interdisciplinary, uh, liberal arts kind of based thing, I think, something like that. And so I want to build it into a system where anybody from any level can start out what their own pathway could be. And it's just a matter of learning how to learn, learning how to keep track of it, and proving that you know the knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. And what tips would you have for that learning how to learn aspect because that's certainly not something you're taught in public in most public schools yeah (laughs) yeah what did you get like when you came and started your own learning process Mm -hmm. what were the first things you did you mentioned speed reading and the biggest thing like the why the macro is indulging in curiosity curiosity is a big muscle that people need to use and as we grow up our curiosity is often squandered by school or work or society and it's just kind of how our society has been built mm-hmm. and it, that'll ch- it's changing but it's still one of those things you have to go out of your way to cultivate absolutely agree. and then 
Yeah. The how aspect comes into the learning, relearning, and unlearning. So you have to be able to relearn some topics that you might have forgotten. Sometimes what you learn has been proven false. Like there's been plenty of studies that have come out that like the BMI index doesn't mean anything (laughs) or Myers-Briggs doesn't mean anything. And it's all these different things that they've been proven to be false, but people still use in the common sense. And personality types are true. Introverts, experts, that's true. But like the the Myers-Briggs test has been proven to be kind of iffy. My point is though, like some people have to unlearn that in order to progress to the next learning. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting too, I actually started a little mini course that I was going to attach to the monster degree for people to take. So just can get a quick understanding about being autodidactic, being a self-learner. And so that's the one thing I was going to do is like help people with that is by giving that little mini course. And then beyond that, I think it's just a matter of just, like I said, indulging in a curiosity. If there's something you're interested in, go learn it. Mm-hmm. And over time, you'll get better at learning yeah. too. Yeah. That's a, no, that's a really good way to approach it is just focus on what you're most interested in and go from there. That's what I've always done. But yeah. you had to learn how to do a podcast, for example. Yes. And I am still learning how to do a podcast. You learn more every day. So it is um, it is definitely something that stepped me out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But it's also when I think you might understand when you have something you're really invested in that feels really important that you're kind of called to do. You just figure out how to do yeah. it. Even if it's terrible, you get it out there because it will it will help somebody. So and a lot of your work seems to be sort of oriented towards what can you do for like, how can this help the world, right? How can this help the, the um, greater group of humanity? Right. And education is a really big part of that, right? And you've linked education to innovation mm-hmm. too, a lot in your work, I noticed when I was reading. I'm glad you noticed that too. And it's, it's a matter of micro and macro. You have to look things from both perspectives. And the previous endeavor I had was that I mentioned earlier, it's called the United Living Construct, where it was meant to be a hub of innovation. And part of the aspect of that was world unity through self-development. So the whole idea of learning was still even back then, like it's still instilled in me even way back then before I even created my own education. And so mm-hmm. start from the individual, build them out, build them up, make them a better person from themselves inward. And then the community as a whole be built up, cities as a whole will be built up. And then over time, each city will end up becoming the global civilization. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like micro and macro. It all comes back down to this poly innovation system that I made out. And personally, I started in the opposite way. But the mm-hmm. way I have the P- PS, as I call it, the POS, or whatever you want to call it, personal poly innovation operating system, or whatever you want to say, an operating system for your life, essentially. Mm-hmm. You start out with self education as the foundation, like the learning, what you ingraining the in- input, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then you build it out with the habits and systems, like what rituals or routines are you using with that knowledge? Like how do you implement that knowledge into your life? And then beyond that, it comes down to the four pillars, which is the mind, body, spirit, and emotions. How do those each new skills and habits affect the different areas of your life? Is it making you a better physique? Is it giving you more intelligence? Is it making you more emotionally aware? Is it giving you more spiritual alignment? Whatever that may be, how is it affecting that? And then eventually you have to have some sort of output. So whether that's just bullet journaling or building a personal brand or a podcast like we have here or something along those lines. Can we talk about a little bit about your interest in polymathy. How did this interest come about and what, like, because it does seem to define your life and your approach to Mm -hmm. most of what you're doing, right? So why is that such a big drive for you? 
you're not the first person to ask me the origin of the interest and I still don't have an answer. And I think the biggest thing was, is that I've always wanted to do many different things. I, I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones where I've always known that I wanted to do many different things. Whereas mm-hmm. a lot of people don't even know what they want to do for one thing, even at my age now, but I knew what I wanted to do. And even in the smallest and bigger sense, when I was younger, I'm lucky. I'm not bragging. I'm lucky. I, I found what I like to do in like business and content creation and graphics design, all that stuff at a young age. And it just built up over time. It started compounding. I, still, I love playing video games. Well, one of the areas I want to work in in the future is video games. And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I have as, as a future phase for Poly Innovator. And so even back in seventh grade, I remember doing a like in-depth presentation on Leonardo da Vinci. Mm-hmm. And it was a whole fair of people doing presentations, like seventh graders doing presentations. And I remember being one of the best presentations there because I was so excited about it. He became my hero too, because he did so many different things. It was super interesting. And I had like really in-depth charts. And I remember that being a big motivator too. It's just, I want to become the modern version of da Vinci or something like that. The successor yeah. of Tooth da Vinci is what I kind of said at one point. That was egotistical there, but yeah. <laughs> Well, there is this concept, I think, at least the way I brought, we're of slightly different generations, I think, but the way I was brought up, there was still this clinging to this idea that my parents had of you grow up, you get your job and you stay in that with any luck, right? You stay working with the same company until you retire and die. And that's what you do. You have this one trajectory and you might have a family, you might work on your house on your weekends, like this very middle-class white uh, system, but there's this idea that you'd have this one job and that's just what you do. And maybe you'd get a promotion within that space, but you'd still be basically in the same industry your whole life. And Mm -hmm. I think starting with my generation and moving on down, you start to get this idea that you can do so many different things. You don't have to get stuck in this one trajectory for your whole existence. You can do software engineering. Okay, no, I'm going to go, you know, learn how to paint watercolors. Okay, no, I'm going to go, you know, you can just do, there's so many spaces for self-development and development of interests. And I think that kind of the polymath ideal fits in really well with this specific kind of generation of this Mm -hmm. freedom to do a lot of different things and expectation that you're not going to stay with the same job for 60 years. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And just beyond that, though, there's this big misunderstanding about human nature, too. There are a couple of examples I want to mention is, I don't remember what his name is at the top of my head. It kills me, but it's on the Max Planck of Institute of Technology uh, the, there was a research paper about how Homo sapiens evolved. And so there was the Neanderthals and Homo erectus and all these different versions of the hominins, all these different humans going about. And they're wondering, like, why is it that we survived, but they didn't? Mm-hmm. And the study points out that the generalists, the, the species that were most able to adapt and change the different environments around the world yes. were, the, were the ones that survived. Mm-hmm. It was because of the homo sapiens adaptable cha- to change, the generalists mm-hmm. and our species were the reason why we actually evolved when the other ones didn't. And yes. so I thought that was a very fascinating thing. That means what we've had polymathy or generalists for our entire generation, like for our entire lifespan as a species. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that, I mean, that idea of being in the same job till you're 60 and also by the way that job being like your identity as a person (laughs) both of those things conflating I think that's a totally um, contrived situation I think in any space where you're trying to push um, all humans to do this one thing and say that's the best thing for all of us we are built to be diverse we're built to be able to do a lot of different things and to adapt to a lot of different situations and that's the whole point and so if you don't allow space for people to do that you're kind of Squashing Squ- our yeah, yeah, squandering yeah, potential, diversity, right? Yeah, 
well, I don't know if we read the same paper, but we have definitely both done a lot of anthropology, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, the idea of doing one job all of our life is a specialist thing. But ironically, those who work the same company for 40, 50, 60 years, they're not doing the same job the whole time. They're moving to middle management, maybe maybe sea level, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're lucky, going horizontal, doing different jobs. Each position or job they have in that company changes their career. At that mm-hmm. time, they may be doing sales and then they go into management. Then they go into doing uh, R&D if they want to, or maybe they move over to IT. Those are different careers, different mm-hmm. areas of knowledge. And so the one thing I was noticing is that even those who think they are specialists, they're a lot more polymathic than they realize because they've had multiple different careers within that same company throughout their lifespan. Mm-hmm. And so even though we think we're still just being specialists, and I do think that there's a change going on, like you said, a lot of companies like Google and IBM, they want you to work 10 different companies for a year or two each. But it's still interesting, even in the old way of thinking where you just stick with one company, you're still doing a polymathic life over your yes. lifespan. So I just want to point that out. That's yeah, no, I, I think I was specifically thinking about the like milieu of the 50s, like the 1950s, that sort of oh, know, yeah. post-war idea. And you, I agree with you, people would be called upon to develop different skills within that space. But it's also true that uh, work or the you know, capitalism has changed a lot in the last 50 years. The idea of what work is and what work isn't and where it is and where it isn't has changed a lot in the last 50 years. Um, I think also nowadays, because work has evolved to where you can be doing it from your computer, you can be doing it from wherever, there is a lot more space still to expand, not just your skills, but your, your openness to different cultures, to different ways of doing things where, you know, in the 1950s, that wouldn't have really been accessible to a large number of people. That's true. I think the mindset's what you're kind of going for and like the overall societal norms too. And I mean, we still have the social construct of the whole nine to five, work a career, go to college, get one career. Yeah, so I'm saying we still have (laughs) that, but it is changing, like you said. Here's the thing too, we're talking about polymathy aspects too. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I didn't get a chance to mention earlier was the book by David Epstein, Range. We were Mm -hmm. talking about how different specialists were generalists first. And so it's kind of like this funnel where someone who dabbles a lot of, like a jack of all trades who's putting their hands on all these different cookie jars they're trying to find what they like and then once they do they f- tunnel vision on it and so roger federer was that kind of person where he tried like 30 different sports from like wrestling to uh, soccer and all that kind of things and now he's a tennis like a pro tennis player hmm. and he it's because he settled on that one after trying 30 different ones and he became a specialist after being a generalist and then on top of that too as we get older sometimes our knee gives out we can't do tennis anymore so you have to do something else and so the interest starts to spread out again so it's almost like a big funnel where it starts out wide becomes smaller then grows out wide again and so there's a lot of potential what that makes me think of is so you start out with this general knowledge you pick a special interest you zone in on that and then you start seeing all these ways that um, your random interest in you know, whatever thing, medieval corsetry applies to all these other things. Like now you've got an interest in medieval history, you've got an interest in sewing, you've got an interest in, you know, cultural differences, maybe language. So there's always ways once you narrow in to then reapply that very specific, highly specific knowledge back out into a range of different subject matters, which makes the, like the having that depth of knowledge better and more useful. And then Mm. the more depths of knowledge you have in different topics, the more you're noticing those connections and those those uh, interlocking effects, you know, throughout everything you're learning. Oh, the for sure. The world is connected, so it can be really helpful. 
it is that uh, trans contextual thinking, being able yes. to see the bridge between different areas. And the interesting thing is too, one thing that me and a lot of actual like legit researchers on polymathy are looking at is this idea of the polymath spectrum, or I call it a multidisciplinary spectrum too, because polymath is not the only term people identify with. And it's interesting that there's a lot of different levels to specialties. So you could be a specialist, but you could be a polymath. You could be a bi-specialist. So there's nanotechnology or biotechnology, which you have to be a dual specialist in order to work in those Absolutely. fields. And there's, you were mentioning earlier, the width and having one big depth. That's a T-shaped person. And there's multi-potentialites, someone who's a potential to do many different things, a jack of all trades, a generalist. And each one just kind of gets a deeper and deeper level of knowledge. And then you get the polymaths. And there's a difference between like a polymath who knows a lot of different things and someone who's a master polymath, mm. someone like Da Vinci, who was a literal master of painting and master of architecture, master at uh, design and like science. He was, yeah. yeah. He, he discovered ocular science before anyone else did, 500 years before any kind of scientist ever tried to do anything like that. He talked about light physics. He was an extreme polymath, you could say. And so there's a different level of polymathy even within that little bit at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the values of the, I guess, life approach of a polymath is that you are not always constrained by social expectations or social norms, right? Like Da Vinci wouldn't have been able to do, for example, all of his anatomical figures without kind of going around the law and finding some corpses to take part. Yeah. Not to the same extreme, but like you um, in deciding to make your own way with your courses and you made your modular degree and you specifically said, I'm going to reject the social institution that might be the more formal or socially appropriate way to do this. And I'm going to do my own thing. Social norms protect us in many ways, but in many yeah. ways they stimmy us and can harm, especially people who aren't the, you know, neurotypical or able-bodied or, you know, the people with, the, if you don't have power and you don't have privilege, mm -hmm. the social norms are not there to protect you. Right. So being able to notice that and go around them when you need to is really valuable. Well, you could say I said, screw it to the stigma of not having a college degree. Yeah. That's and, what I mean. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing was with Poly Innovator, I created it as the foundation for any particular career I wanted to have in the future. For all of the mm -hmm. careers, actually, in particular, is the best way to explain it. It's for all the different careers I wanted to have in the future, where whether that's changing education or working with exercise, like my background is in fitness. So mm -hmm. I'm going to create content about fitness at some point, too. It's might as well. And yeah. so gaming was another aspect I mentioned earlier, music, whatever it may end up being, I wanted to have a platform to build off of. Yeah. Well, and when you have a depth of knowledge in multiple topics, then it is kind of a social duty, right, to offer that depth of knowledge back to other folks who are trying to, to access it and may not have a way to do that through traditional formal means. So mm -hmm. that's really great. Yeah. So we talked about the self-education. And then the other thing I was most kind of interested in, in terms of my audience, is the building um, routines and building systems, I guess, mm -hmm. for getting yourself, developing yourself for self-development, for getting to where you want to be. Do you have any, I guess, yeah. anything to say about that? Any tips about that? Or I can dig into that a bit. Yeah. So go, going back to what I was mentioning earlier, the poly innovation system, I created it as a, this tier-based system where you start out with the foundation, you build it with the consistency, you get the exponentiality of the four pillars, and then you have the output of the mm -hmm. personal branding. 
But the aspect behind habits and systems and actually being able to integrate that into your life, especially for neurodivergent people, but anybody really, I think there's a lot of habits that people miss out on and people build up bad habits. They don't realize they're building good habits or something like that. And the idea of how our brain works on any level. So for example, the, the habit cues. So Anatomic Habits by James Clear, he talks about cues. And so mm-hmm. let's say you wanted to start listening to podcasts more. You want to just educate yourself on whatever topic you're listening on that podcast about. Maybe you're saying screw it to the stigma. And regardless to whatever you're listening to, you're going to put on those headphones. You may go for a walk. And now you're starting to associate those two things with podcasting. Mm-hmm. So now when I want to listen to podcasts, what I usually do, at least when it's not super cold out, is go for a walk. But the more important thing was I always put headphones on. I always do it. I can't listen to podcasts without headphones. And so when I started associating putting on headphones on, the moment I do that, there's this mental cue saying, oh, now it's time for podcasts. Now it's time to go do that thing. And so understanding the psychology behind it or neuroscience behind it too is a great way of building habits out. So when the pandemic hit, for example, my fitness background helps me out with working out. I can build a workout habit pretty quickly. But when my workout habit revolved around me working at a gym, mm-hmm where I could just build out a system of like, hey, I'm working today, let's go work out today. I can get enough workouts out throughout the week. When I lose that gym, when I lost that for the quarantine, I ended up having to take that system and reevaluate it and change my habits based off of the now new situation that I had. So it's adaptable to it as well. Yeah, so the environmental cue is really important and also associating the goal and the steps you're gonna take to achieve your goal with a physical things or the environment around you. Yeah. Oh, speaking of environment, and that's that's a big thing that a lot of people talk about, the feng shui or just having a minimalist mm-hmm. life. If you look around my apartment, I if you look around this room, especially there's hardly anything in it. I have a very minimalist li- lifestyle besides some of my technology, but technology is my one caveat. But the rest of it is all pretty minimal. And the thing is too, when it comes to habits, if you want to have a good habit, let's say you're learning how to play guitar, you want to teach yourself that new skill. It's something that takes effort. So your brain doesn't want to do it because your brain's like, I want to conserve my energy. I don't want to expel it focusing on this, but you have the remote right there to go watch TV right away. That's, that's giving your brain two options. You can easily pick up the remote and start watching TV or go out of your way to go pick up the guitar and then start a harder habit too. Mm-hmm. Versus putting that remote in the back drawer of your TV stand all the way across the room and moving your guitar next to the couch. Mm -hmm. Then the good habit is now the easier option. The bad habit is the harder option. And when you can switch between those two, when you start changing your environment that way, you actually make the habits easier to get into. Yeah, that's been a really important one for me specifically because I have an executive dysfunction issue. So I I always think of future Danielle as a different person from me. So Mm -hmm. I have to do things to help future Danielle because if I just think about her as me, then mm-hmm. I won't ever help her. I want to yeah. do anything to help her. I'm like, no, I'd rather like, I'd rather just not do that right now. But if I think about it like that, like in the morning, you know, I set myself up for success. I make sure I have meals planned because dinner, Danielle won't be able to think anymore. She'll be mm-hmm. burned you know, out, unable. Yeah. Burnt out, um, overwhelmed, unable to think through even basic steps. But if morning Danielle has made a plan or even last, you know, last week, Danielle has made a plan for what are we going to have for dinner Um, What are we going to get dressed today? You know, and even basic stuff like putting my phone in a totally different room overnight. So I don't like get on it first thing in the morning, but those environmental cues, they're a great way to trick your brain into doing what you want it to do when you're in in a good mind space, because all of us lose energy and all of us sometimes just can't make good decisions for ourselves, even though we want to. And if you can kind of get in front of yourself there and just 
being like, I'm going to take care of her now because she won't be able to do it later. I'm going to put this phone over here so she can't get to it. Or I'm going to put the remote over here and put the guitar here. Like those are really good ways to, to work around that kind of exhaustion that all of us yeah. slump into once in a while. So it's really important. Well, and like you said, all of us have that issue where we have only so much energy or as Tim Ferriss says, attention units per day. And for yeah. you, you accelerate through those units even faster. And so mm-hmm. you have to be even more careful about it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good point to make too for any neurodivergent people. But there's also the idea of anybody in any, gen- in any situation preparing for the future version of yourself is Absolutely. super important. Yes. There's a metaphor often used in disability circles. Uh, that's the, the spoon do you know the spoon mm. metaphor? So you have your, you, when you get up in the morning, you have a certain number of spoons in your cup and you can hand them out for each task that you need to perform. But the minute the spoons are gone, the spoons are gone. The spoons are not mm. coming back. They're, they are left, they are left the building. So you really need to be careful how you ration your, your spoon allotment for the day. You can't just assume, I think with many neurotypical people, they do generate more spoons throughout the day. Um, or they're just given a larger allotment in the beginning of the morning. It, you know, it can, you can look at the metaphor how you want, but yeah. for many neurodivergent people, a lot of us don't regenerate those spoons. They're just gone. So you need to use your spoons carefully and help yourself wherever you can, like make it as easy for yourself as possible by doing things like hiding the remote or the phone from yourself or, you know, making a meal plan or do whatever you need to do. But so before we end up wrapping up too, I was thinking that there's a way of polymathy, like the journey of polymathy, I think is very important because when it comes to the routines or the actions you take or how you approach education, they all formulate into how you live your life, which for people like us is more polymathic. And I thought there's two paths to polymathy. There is the jack of all trades approach where you're putting your hands in all these seven cookie jars and eventually those cookie jars get really, really long and they become like deep knowledge. And there's, and you have multiple sets, not just four, but multiple beyond that. And then there's the idea of context switching. You're switching between different ones. So you're focusing, narrow focusing on one, then you switch to the next, and switch to the next, and switch to the next. Mm-hmm. And I think most people will be like, okay, the second one, that's the best one. But I do think there's a big potential in the first one where you're really focusing on a lot of different things all at once. And it's not that you have a lack of focus. It's more of that you're switching focus effectively. And I think that those who do that first one and fail are the ones who can't switch focus. Either they're specialists by nature and they they can't really just don't have the capacity to, or they're like us and more generalist in nature and they just haven't learned how to do the systems. So there's a concept in learning called interleaving where you're switching between different topics on purpose so that your brain is no longer losing focus because you can only focus on something for so long mm-hmm. on average. And then with neurodivergent people, it might even be less time. And so it's interesting how, or more, or more. For many Can't, of us, it's a lot more, but that's, yeah, it, yeah, that's it does a whole, vary. It does vary. <laughs> that's my point. Like, it's a very for anybody is what I'm saying. And like the interleaving aspect is a matter of switch between different topic areas. And the same thing goes for whatever you're learning too. But I think that's an important distinction to make so there's a potential for both and yes. I think a lot of people underestimate the first one yeah well, that's really valuable to know because the more ways that we can access learning mm-hmm. the better well thanks so much for being here it was great to talk thank to you for having me anytime could you please tell our listeners more about how to find you and how to hear mm-hmm. more about your work yes so poly innovator is my personal brand you'll, you'll be able to find that 
anywhere. So poly innovator, just like P-L-L-Y innovator. And you can find it on any social platform. Pretty happy about that where you can find me anywhere. And more importantly, on my website, polyinnovator.space. I just recently remade it. I've revamped all of my old posts, which is over like 180 posts. I'm making more as well, including a 7,000 one I made this week. But overall, just reach out to me, contact me about polymathy or generalists or education, anything. That's it for our episode this week, friends. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have thoughts on neurodivergence and polymathy, I would love to hear them. Send me over an email, neurodiverging.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Dustin. Please check out his website. All the links for everything will be in the notes below. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Until then, please remember we are all in this together.